You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Tuesday, June 19th, the Washington Post hosted entertainers, journalists, technology experts, and leaders in government to discuss the future of the First Amendment. This second annual free-to-state program featured discussions about net neutrality, the evolution of political correctness, political satire in comedy, free speech on college campuses, and so much more. In this segment, Emmy and Grammy Award-winning comedian Patton Oswalt discusses the evolution of comedy and satire as a form of free speech. Let's listen. Oh my God, hi. <laughs> Hi, my name is Alahe Azadi, and I am a pop culture writer for the Washington Post who covers comedy, and I am joined here today by Emmy and Grammy award-winning comedian Patton Oswalt. Hi. <laughs> Hi, everybody. You may know him from his comedy specials, including his most recent Annihilation and Talking for Clapping, both on Netflix. He has appeared in dozens of films and TV shows, and, and is very well known for playing Spence on The King of Queens. Yes. for nine seasons. Uh, he currently stars as Principal Durbin on the NBC comedy AP Bio that is produced by Seth Meyers, Mike O'Brien, and Lauren Michaels. And he's also very active on political issues through his very, well, he likes to talk about politics a lot on his uh, social media. He has a huge social media following and he, where he often offers his candid views on the current administration, pop culture, the state of the country. So thank you for being here, Patton. Thank you. And thank you for the people watching the stream. Thank you, West Coast shut-ins, uh, for watching <laughs> me right now on your laptops. And for all the Twitch streamers out there, I love you guys. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. So does the post. Uh, <coughs> oh, good. <laughs> so, uh, Michelle Wolf, Samantha B, facing criticism for their material, the recent firing of Roseanne Barr for a racist tweet that she later said was a joke, the fallout for Kathy Griffin following her mock photo with a bloody Trump mask. It seems that we're in this moment right now where what comedians are saying and doing is part of headline news. Um, and more and more people are discussing what is in and out of bounds for satire. So as a comedian, how do you navigate that line and is there even a line? Um, no, there's not a line anymore. The line just shifts every day. And um, when you say that what comedians say and do is fodder for the media, what it actually is, it's fodder for the media second. What it first is, it is it's scalp hunting by either side of the political spectrum. Who can we hold up as the latest outrage and then the media follows going oh this is they, they can smell the clicks mm. so they go where the clicks are so you know in terms of <clears throat> when, when when Roseanne got canceled and then um, Samantha B was immediately attacked that felt like that scene in the untouchables of you know he, he you know stabbed he, he shoots one of yours puts one of yours in the hospital you put one of his in the morgue like mm. it, it's just this it's this zero-sum game of of trophies and and oh look who we got to be not to, but but it's it it's so not it just shows how degraded the I guess the the discourse has become because it's not ultimately a First Amendment issue it is a it's a corporate issue hmm. if 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 ABC which is a private corporation feels like this person that they've hired is not representing them the way that they want 
then they do have the right, unfortunately, to fire them. I don't think people should get fired over, especially stuff like Twitter, which Twitter, if, if, if people were going to get fired over Twitter, there's all kinds of like dumb attempts at jokes that I've tweeted out that my friends have tweeted out. But Roseanne was unfortunately this, you know, she was this prize um, for uh, a big segment of, of uh, I guess, the whatever the political divide is. Now, what she had been doing, though, was it wasn't like out of nowhere she suddenly tweeted this. She had been tweeting racist stuff over and over and, like, over again. So it's, it's hard to equate what her getting fired as if it's some kind of big tragedy where it's, it's what business does with Samantha Bee, where uh, the next day Trump, the president, was demanding that TBS cancel her show. That's the head of the government demanding a broadcast network shut someone down. That's actual censorship. That's actual First Amendment violations, as opposed to a company going, uh, maybe not tweet racist stuff. Uh, you're fired. You know, and then for her to, I mean, the, the whole thing was, it, it was so, it, it, again, it, it's, it's people that are, already sexist, racist, homophobic, are after the fact trying to grandfather in their racism as if, as if they are these First Amendment warriors. Where it's like, no, you're not a First Amendment warrior if you just haven't bothered to evolve your, your worldview. You're just, your viewpoint is archaic and the world is moving on and you digging in your heels doesn't make you some kind of, you know, trailblazer for free speech. It just means that you're, you're fighting to be stagnant. You know, you know, dinosaurs that went down in the tar pits were not, you know, uh, evolutionary warriors. They just, they were not, they were not seeing, oh, it's getting cold and you're all going to die. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and also, it's just a joke is often used as an excuse after the fact, as kind I, oh of failing well, speech. It's just a joke is always used as an excuse by people who are not, either not comedians or fancy themselves comedians, but they're not funny. You know, so you have someone like, like a, a, a Milo Yiannopoulos, who basically ran the Ann Culture playbook uh, using the voice of Tim Curry from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and then would go, oh my God, it's just a joke. People's like, no, you're, you actually were saying just unfunny, boilerplate racist stuff. There was never a twist or a punchline there. These idiots always point at like Lenny Bruce going on stage and, you know, saying the N-word over and over again. It's like, yeah, but that was leading to a point. There was a twist to it that showed you what it's doing. You're just saying racist stuff, and then there's no twist. And then you're going, ah, see, I'm just his First Amendment rights. So <laughs> no. at, as a comedian, then, <clears throat> since so many people now, it seems like, are watching comedy, consuming comedy, and therefore having opinions about comedy and voicing them, what is the one, is there one thing, or do you have a pet peeve about the way people who don't do comedy, the way they talk about it? What don't they understand about the craft that comics know in doing it? Um, well, there's a, oh my God, I have so many pet peeves about how people who do not uh, do, or, or at least, I don't even care if someone doesn't do comedy, but comedy, we've yet to see for comedy, we don't have a Lester Bangs or a Pauline Kael, someone that writes about us that actually knows the history and knows the form. It's always someone that kind of pulled the short end pulled the short stick in the um, features room and go, oh, I gotta go cover the, 
<laughs> is that you a lot? Yeah, I guess. Uh. No, that's me. <clears throat> but you I, do. I but at least to. you do comedy, though. Yeah. So you're not. In other words, I, I, there's so many times when I'm being asked questions, and someone will go, "So what can people expect at your show? What jokes will you be doing?" It's like, why would I tell you? No, no that's not. Yeah. Have you ever seen a comedy show? Or <laughs> people that say, "Well, comedians don't write that stuff. It just all just comes out of books." And stuff like that. Or when someone who isn't funny but so clearly wants to be so many of the alt-right conservative crowd, you can just you can smell the stench of failed comedian coming off of them. You know, and, and so they've metastasized showbiz failure into hatred of the left. Um, so they will then like you said after the fact go, oh, it's just a joke. I'm sorry you guys don't get it. It's like, no, you don't, you literally don't know how. Again, look at anything Mike Huckabee tweets out. Um, you know, that's a guy that yeah, he you... so wants to be funny. It's like the whole. It's like it's like there's this whole generation that's it's all the Bruno Kirby character from Good Morning Vietnam, the guy that's like, I know in my heart I'm funny. First off, a guy, someone who's funny never has to say that. Mm. People that are funny go, excuse me, I I'm funny too. No, okay, the fact that you just said that <laughs> means that you're not funny because you shouldn't have, other people should be saying that about you. You should never have to say that. You know, so a lot of people will do that all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's how, that's how, do you want to know so if someone isn't funny? Wait to see if they tell you that they're funny. <laughs> you're like, oh, they're not funny. By the way, just like you've seen this before, when a comedian tells an audience how edgy and dangerous they are. Right. Buckle in, guys. It's going to get dark. Okay, now I know it's not going to because you just had to warn us about something that we should be experiencing ourselves rather than you telling us. Right. Well, so the flip of some of this, too, is that uh, comic, and you touched on this as well, uh, comics have free speech but not freedom from consequence, which is yeah. something that comics will say a lot. Um, but then there's also something that uh, Dave Chappelle told me last summer was that Ooh, more people... I hung out I know, with Dave right? Chappelle. I, I, I didn't really hang out, out with him. Dave Chappelle. I, I literally <laughs> cornered him in an alley during daylight hours in D.C. and asked him <laughs> about comedy, but he did tell me this, mm -hmm. that um, more people are watching comedy now, but their ears are more brittle. That, oh, wow, um, that makes a lot of sense. That, that there's kind yeah. of, but there are people who they love it, they love <laughs> it. So, you know, well, I'm just thinking, is it... Could I yeah. amend that? That's so true. And what's also happening is more people are watching comedy, but the, the new number of people that are watching it have come up in a media landscape where they are very used to programming being catered to them. And a lot of times when you go to co comedy, it's not catered to anybody. It's catered to whoever is doing it. And so since they're so not used to mm. their agenda being immediately addressed in comedy, then they will, they, it's like they've never experienced that before of somebody going up and they, they didn't consider this experience that I had. Well, that's what comedy is. Cause sometimes comedy is uh, an out of control, you know, gas tank or crashing into a brick wall. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where the comedy comes from sometimes. So hmm. um, th maybe that's, that's what it is too. Right, right. Well, so in a recent GQ interview, um, you talked about comics who blame this idea of PC culture um, for their decline in popularity. And yes. actually earlier today, there was a conversation in the program about how the concept of political correctness can, can be used to undermine efforts to support equality in the name of free speech. Mm -hmm. And then there's also comics like Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld, who have said they don't want to perform on college campuses. Um, it's not a good stand-up environment. Um, and what do you make of comedians who say they're not going to go to college campuses? I don't understand that at all. I mean, it, there's always going to be stuff that you do 
on. Again, I've <clears throat> my early albums contain jokes that I look at now and go, oh boy, because times change, hmm. times change, and there's things that you say sometimes, and all you just go, oh, yeah, I got that wrong. My, like, it, even in my last special, I do a whole bit <clears throat> where I assume the, the identity of these, th of these two guys. Um, I say one guy is from the Middle East, one guy is black, and I don't say that the third guy is white because he's wearing a cowboy hat and cowboy boots, and that is that assumption that he is, and it was just, and someone pointed out, like, hey, you kind of, and I was like, oh my God, I totally missed that I did that. Why, why as a comedian why, or any kind of artist, why is it now we are in this weird um, uh, fake, proud, no apology culture where somehow you're weak if you go, oh yeah, I got that wrong. Like, I don't know why that's so fatal to people. So, you know, th that goes along with, uh, with and, and I know, you know, I, I know Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, I, hang I, know out, I hang out with Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> I hang out with Jerry a lot. No, no, I hang out with them. With him. No, um, but they, um, if, if you go on stage and you do a joke that doesn't land, mm -hmm. just go, ah, yeah, that joke sucked. Or I, I didn't do it right, or whatever. Like, that's, I mean, I, I don't, I, I can't imagine, I'm just trying to think of a situation where someone's career could be irrevocably destroyed by having a bad college gig. I mean, yeah, I'm sure people will, there might be some outrage if you go too far, but that's what comedy kind of is. And watch me next week, I'll be at some college yeah. and my career will burn to the ground, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't want to drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's interesting though, because on the one hand, that is true. You know, you fail in public. Comedy is this craft where you're failing in public constantly in order to perfect it. Yeah, maybe, you know, actually, oh, go ahead, finish, I, I don't want to no. say it, but no, well, I mean, maybe that's, maybe I'm being a little bit insensitive because I am in a profession where in getting good at it, you get used to decades of failure and humiliation to the point where you do get a little bit of a, a thick carapace, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, a, a lot of people that get um, <clears throat> freaked out by People like, like I get a lot of trolls on Twitter, but I'm like, I used to get yelled at by people 10 feet from me. Right. So someone with an anime avatar and a fake name, that just doesn't <laughs> really, it doesn't land with me anymore because <laughs> I'm like, well, he's not coming at the stage with an empty bottle. I'm yeah. probably safe, you know, yeah. so, yeah. But I also think of this idea too, I mean, I'm gonna use this term, but I'm gonna redefine it maybe, of a safe space for a comic, mm -hmm. where especially if you're working out material and you're trying to figure out, you need that room to, in order to fail in public, and yeah, yeah, the audience can boo, the guy can come at you with an empty beer bottle, but no one's there recording it, you know? Except now, a well, lot of times they are. Well, exactly, and, so are and, there, do, do comics need a like their own version of a safe space where they can fail in public face the consequence in the moment, but not have it recorded, sent out for the world to see. Yeah, I think any artist has the right to decide when what they are working on is finished. Mm. And a lot of times if you're judging people by what he or she is doing at an open mic, a lot of times you're seeing very early, rough, unfinished versions of something. So if someone's writing a novel and you rip the, you know, you grab the first few pages and start reading them and go, well, this is, you know, like, let me finish and refine it. It's not done yet, you know? So, although at the same time, we are putting ourselves out there as performers to an audience that has come to be entertained on some level or another. I'm not, I'm not completely anti-audience, but I'm also <laughs> not, I'm, I'm also not, completely the customer is always right when it comes to mm. uh, especially creative stuff, music or comedy or anything like that. I, I think it, it really comes down to whoever's creating it. I mean, obviously there's some, 
there are some instances of, you know, okay, I'll, I'll give you two, two for, for instances. Um, <clears throat> Michael Richards, when he went off on that rant that was in public and it was, it was just, it, it was a, it was using a, a nuclear bomb on a, someone that was just talking loud and, right. and, and it was so out of line, so crazed. And I think it came from, I don't think he really did all that much comedy. You know, he was a guy that did a lot of TV. He did some, but, but he was just used to an audience listening to him whenever he wants, you know, whenever he's on stage. And when that did, I think his brain fritzed out um, and all this ugliness came out and that was insanely inappropriate and he deserved what he got from that. Um, on the other hand, um, Daniel Tosh, who was at an open mic working out material, and he at one point said, to the, asked the audience, hey, what would be a good topic to talk about? And someone in the audience went, talk about rape. And then he started making fun of the guy who said that, going, oh yeah, that'd be really, f like, you like calling the guy an idiot for doing what he did. And then someone else got angry at him for talking about it too much. And then, he, so that is a much more. And that moment <clears throat> went viral. She blocked about it. That moment went viral and she got angry about it. And, and it was like this guy who was, basically making fun of a guy for saying something like that, then gets made out to be a guy making jokes about rape, which, and yes, he did say something to her that I thought was mm. super harsh, like, wouldn't it be funny if... Yeah, she we get, don't, you know, yeah. yeah um, Look, Google it. But yeah, Google <laughs> it, but again, it's not as cut and dried a situation as the Michael Richards mm. situation. So I, I just, I hope that at, uh, in, this, in this scalp hunting um, uh, points for either side atmosphere, we can cling to a little bit of nuance right now. You know, whereas, um, you know, Roseanne was attacking a public figure and making this horrible racist comparison. Samantha B was trying to talk about this ugly immigration policy and was ending a long thing about it by pointing out that, that um, Ivanka was acting, if not if not premeditatively horribly, super tone deaf to post a picture of you holding up your beloved baby while kids are being yanked away from their parents by your dad. You know, so th there's two way different things going on there. It's not the same thing. And also, again, for ABC to go, ah, we don't like that. That's, it's not with our, they're, it's within their right to do it. It's not within the president's right to tell a network, I want that show yanked. That's, that's like Soviet level stuff. Um, I forgot to tell the audience watching us, if you want to tweet a question, you can use the hashtag free to state. I'll take a look in a little bit. Sorry, I didn't mention that earlier, hashtag free oh, to state. Oh, for God's sakes. Yeah, after we talked about all the Twitter it. trolls. Oh, man. Don't worry, we'll weed out the trolls, don't <laughs> okay. worry. Okay. No, I only want troll questions. You only want, okay. I, I want all troll questions. <laughs> well, it's interesting <laughs> you talked about this notion of no apologies, um, this kind of culture we live in uh, where, and, and you know, <laughs> There, like Samantha B apologized. Um, yes. Kathy Griffin apologized, and then later said that she regretted apologizing. Yeah. Um, you've apologized for things that you've said, and, and I and I will in the future because I'm I'm a human. I I'm not the, these people that that are like saying that you won't apologize is basically saying I have I have no more need to evolve or learn. I have become a, an elevated human, and I am perfect. That's ridiculous. You're going to say stupid things. And go up. Oh, my bad. Do you think comics right now, because you've been doing comedy for a few decades now, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like it's more difficult to do comedy now than before? And are comedians subject to more scrutiny and under attack more than when you 
started or it, even 10 years ago? It was always difficult to do comedy. There's just different difficulties. So when I was starting out, it was very difficult because um, it was hard to get exposure. And when you did start getting exposure in the late 80s, there was only... Everyone knew there was one path. You got a clean seven minutes, you went on The Tonight Show, you got called to the couch, and you got a sitcom, and that's it. And if you didn't fit in that little box, then you were just kind of adrift. And then that all went away, and then it became about the comedy scene now collapsed. Um, because, because, yes, despite all those disadvantages, in the late 80s, you could make a lot of money and not be very good as a comedian. Well, that, is that good or bad? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm just, for, there, was, there, was, there were advantages and disadvantages right. because you could go on stage all the time mm -hmm. and, and develop and be paid to develop. Then in the early 90s, you had to get a day job if you wanted to develop because you weren't getting, no one was getting paid anymore. And now, and, and, and now with the Internet, yes, there's more scrutiny, but there's also... Um, there, there, there aren't the same boundaries that we had. You can shape your own thing and find your own audience in your own, in your own way, which I think for a lot of, it, it makes for so many, <clears throat> so much more originality and so much more access for different voices, people of color, people who are gay, trans, you know, any, that was always this, this, a huge hurdle, if not a complete closed door, mm -hmm. you know, in the 80s and even in the 90s. And now that's just not really there anymore. And, and if you can't get on a network, that doesn't really matter. You can make your own. There's, there's people on YouTube that get more views than, than network shows. So it, there's been a, yes, there's, and, and again, with every new advantage, that there's disadvantages. There's, there's more access and there's also more scrutiny, mm -hmm. and, and people are going to... But again, I think there's going to be a generation coming up that is going to be able to weather that scrutiny better than we did. Mm -hmm. you know? So there's, there's always look for the advantages and look for, look for the evolution rather than, oh, my God, this thing that used to be is now no longer. Yeah, that is true. That's gone now, but look what took its place. Things are better now. Right. Um, you mentioned Lenny Bruce. People bring up Lenny Bruce, George Carlin. Um, as Always and usually the wrong people are bringing up Lenny Bruce and George. <laughs> well, I'm Carter. bringing them up. Okay, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm saying yeah. like in, in defense of some really bad stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, and people cite them as well as kind of uh, pointing out that comedians have long been the the individuals within our society who are pushing the boundaries of free speech. That that's one of their roles in society. Yeah. Um, what do you think right now is the role of comedians in the current political and social landscape? I mean, do they have a certain social responsibility to kind of speak <sighs> truth to power or anything like that? I, I think we right now we have a social responsibility whether we want it or not because you can't just go on stage and talk about dating or airline food anymore because there's this <laughs> huge it, it'd be like going up be like doing a set during middle earth and not talk about the huge tower with the glowing eye <laughs> like looking at everyone like boy how about those hobbit villages and i'd be like there's an evil glowing eye you're going to talk about like so there, there's no um uh, you know it, oh god how can i put it but but at the same time it, it feels like there, there's something very freeing in that, well, I mean, I guess we can say whatever we want because we have a commander-in-chief that's out of his mind and saying whatever he wants. Although I'm a little bit, it makes me, sometimes I feel like, I feel like the, the MC in the movie Cabaret where I'm just making all these jokes, but around me the Reich is forming and like, what am I doing? Um, and also, if, if you know what happened during the Anschluss in Vienna, the comedians and social commentators did not fare very well. No. Um, so I don't know. I mean, our, I guess our responsibility is to 
keep saying I'm here and I'm involved and and try to bring some try to try to um, topple what seem like these um, uh, invulnerable figures that are that I think are steering us in the wrong direction and you and you t and if you can to quote my friend uh, Todd Glass if you can mock it you can manage it hmm. um, I'm going to ask a question from Twitter oh dear God <laughs> but it's actually yeah. somewhat similar to a question I was gonna ask Mike on Twitter uh, was MAGA 69 <laughs> asks uh, um, is there anywhere or any line you won't cross in the quest for a good joke? Um, or does being a good joke mean the line was innately worth crossing? Yeah, if, you, if, if it's a good joke, if you found a good approach for it, then yeah, then there's no line you can't cross. That's the other thing is, a lot of the people that are, they're, they're, they're arguing, they're, they're, they're uh, whining about, oh, it's, everything's too PC, but it's because their jokes are so weak and so, Obvious, they go for the obvious thing, but if you can find a way, there's, there was someone online, her name is uh, Adrienne Earhart, she's a comedian, she's really funny, and she has one of my favorite Twitter um, tweets, which is, um, I wanna get this just right, and, this, and she crosses a lot of lines just in this tweet, but it's so perfectly crafted where she says, oh, um, my, my waiter, I, my waiter uh, just brought my entree to the only other white woman in this Mexican restaurant, I understand now. And then there's like a, a space and she goes, oh wait, that's not my waiter. Like, so she just like got, she just nailed all these different like levels to it. Like, oh my God, that's so, and, and again, like a, a lesser comedian or a frustrated alt-right Pepe idiot that Fanson's comedian would do the most idiotically easy race thing and go, ah, just it's, things are too PC. No, you didn't find the cool way mm -hmm. into it. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what, what happened to finesse and cleverness? I <laughs> Hang on, did I just say what happened to finesse <laughs> and cleverness and then ended by going It's a great oh representation God, of that. So <laughs> All right. So in your most recent special, Annihilation, you actually touch on this, and it's something I like to ask comedians when I interview them, is that during the campaign and after the election, there was a lot of just talk in the ether that, oh, um, Trump is good for comedy. Oh, um, God. Your take. <laughs> no. Trump is the worst thing for comedy right now because the longer he stays in office, the more tense and angry and on edge everyone is. So it's gonna, we're going to hit a point, we haven't hit it yet, where even bringing him up, people are just going to be like, I'm exhausted. I don't want to hear this anymore. Except if you don't bring it up, that's also going to seem weird because people are like, but don't you, there's all this, like they'll see the eight horrible things he's done. So we're going to be in this weird twilight zone where people aren't going to want to hear about it, but it's going to be the only thing on people's minds. You know, it's, I, I said this when, when, when Bush was president, I see people like, oh, you're gonna really, miss, when, when Obama got elected, people say, you're really gonna miss George W. Bush as a comedian. I said, I'll give back the 10 minutes I wrote about <laughs> George Bush if we weren't torturing people and our money isn't on fire. Like, it was not worth the 10 minutes of jokes that I got. And, and I'm telling you, however many great Stephen Colbert bits and, and Samantha Bee bits and John Oliver stuff comes out of this, it's not gonna be worth the warping of of so many norms that keep things chugging along. It's just, we, we I don't know how, I, I can't imagine 
what comes after this. I'm quoting um, Matt Chrisman on the Chapo Trap House podcast. I cannot see what, like, I could imagine what was after George W. Bush. I could imagine what might come after Clinton. Cannot see what's after Trump. I just see a, I just see a white wall of nothing right now. And I don't know what, so, so, the, so it's not worth, if, if you're making jokes about the apocalypse, ultimately none of those jokes are worth it if the apocalypse happens, <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, you know what I'm saying? Well, and so the, the other part of that, though, is just simply from a craft perspective that um, because the news cycle is moving so much more quickly now that unless you're on one of these late night comedy shows and even then it can be difficult to have. Yeah. I mean, you kind of talk about that in your um, most recent special, yeah. too. Like it moves so quickly that even for I, it seems like for a stand up. It's especially difficult to tell jokes off of the current political situation. Well, how do you the timeliness? You, you live and work in D.C. and you do stand up here. How do you deal with it? You're right where it's coming out of the mouth of hell. How do you deal with it, like right here? Do Have audiences want to break for it, or, or, or are they are they receptive to it right now? What I've noticed from the comics and the scene here is that, and the audiences, is that I think most people they're. Their work is somehow connected, and mm -hmm. everyone. This is a this is a city where everyone's really paying attention very closely, right? Or they're involved in it, and I've noticed that they yeah they do want to break. I rarely oh, okay. hear material about about the current administration yeah. um, in this well, city, and, and which also, I think is a surprise to people. But but also you can't do material. You have to do material more about in the abstract rather than about a specific thing that he yeah. did or said because by the time you do it. Something else has happened. I, I, I describe it in my special. He's sour cream in a sauna. Like the second, it's just immediately spoiled. You can't sustain anything, you know? So I, I don't really know. And, and, and I think that is, I just think that that's bad for the mental health of the body politic. Mm. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question not related at all to comedy. Is that Ooh. Okay? Yeah. Well, it's about, I wanted to ask you about the Golden State Killer. Is that oh, okay? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, which for those who don't know, it's a cold case, which your late wife, Michelle McNamara, chronicled in her book, mm -hmm. I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which recently came out. And then since it's been released, um, authorities have arrested a yes. man who is the suspect in this case. So I wondered, uh, for a series of murders and rapes, um, I'm wondering if you could tell us about the moment you found out about the arrest and um, how are you following the case? I am, here's what happened. HBO is doing a, a multi-episode documentary series about Michelle and the book and the case. So they, the first day they started filming it, they went with us to Chicago, Michelle's hometown, and film. we did a thing like this, a Q&A, and then um, we all went to sleep because we we're gonna fly the next day, and I wake up and my, my uh, texts have gone crazy and they're gonna announce that he's been caught. And uh, we, and the documentary filmmakers were, what, oh my God, what do we do? This is insane. And so then it became, I was just doing interviews and stuff. But what I'm doing now is, I'm obviously I'm reading about the case. I am backing off of kind of commenting on the case or the book. I'm letting mm -hmm. the cops who worked on this thing for decades, I'm letting the other journalists who helped me finish Michelle's because those are the professionals. I you mean, want to I'm, mention the journalists? <clears throat> yes, uh, Billy Jensen and Paul. Billy Jensen is a journalist. Paul Haynes is a data researcher that really helped put it together. Um, and then this guy, Paul Holes, was the cop. And I'm really putting it more on them because I want the focus on them and on the victims rather than mm. the human interest aspect of Michelle and me. I think that's just not the way to look at this. Mm -hmm. And let's look at the damage this guy did and 
he was a former cop. Like, how did they not know? Mm. You know, so um, I, I'm, I'm an exec producer on the series, but I'm trying to keep my face out of it as much as I can and have it be more about... Right. That, and also, I, and I can tell you, if Michelle were alive, she would want to back mm. off of this thing right now because she was about... Let's give these cops the credit. Let's give the survivors the credit for, you know, sticking together and forming friendships and making sure this, you know, this thing stayed alive. So that's, I'm kind of following her lead. Great, great. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank oh, you, Patton, sorry, for joining uh, us. Sorry, uh, hang on, hang on, listen. Sorry, uh, White Pride 17, uh, at, at White Pride 17, we'll try to get to your question later, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, and that concludes this year's Free to State program on the future of the First Amendment. Thank you so much for joining us. To check out the full video uh, replay of today's programming, please go to WashingtonPostLive.com. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.